Welcome everyone to layer 10, the final layer of our series, That Part, Intimacy and MS. What we know is that self-acceptance and self-love are the primary components in nurturing a healthy, intimate relationship. What we've learned over the past several weeks in discussions with Kiana Renee Jasmine, Dr. April Moreno, and a hot MS is creating boundaries, being comfortable in your skin are all the things that are ultimately necessary for fulfillment, not to mention truly loving yourself, even accepting the not so pretty things. And we learned so much in our conversations with Byron and Amir. First of all, that you are enough, period. Also, that trust, honesty, and taking off masks are imperative to connecting with intimate partners. Right. And what we learned in our conversations with Carlos Rosani Christie and Carrie Donald, our sex therapy roundtable. And in the party line with Ardra, Miss Tripping on Air, Beth from Bethy Bright and Dark, Carlos Kareem Wyndham, and Damian Washington is that sex should be fun and so much more. Exactly. <laughs> we learned through our conversations with Dr. Mitzi Williams. Audra Indermuli, Dr. Gretchen Howley, and Dr. Aaron Boster, that our providers are an interdisciplinary team. You should feel open to discuss topics like sexual intimacy, dysfunction, and other issues. It's their job to help us navigate through the tricky territory. We shouldn't be afraid and always be prepared to let go of expectations, not create recreating the past, and to adapt. And today we're speaking with the amazing Dr. Aaron Boster of the Boster Center for Multiple Sclerosis. You are all really going to love this episode. This is definitely the icing on the cake for this series. And this is just a gentle reminder that the content going forward is explicit and not suitable for little ears. With that said, enjoy the episode. Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron through our Patreon. Patrons can gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, chances to join us on the Myelin and Melanin party line, and more. We'd like to thank our music producer, Shah Severe, for providing our podcast music over the years. You can find him on Instagram at shah.severe, and you can also find him on YouTube. Welcome back, Dr. Boster. We are really excited to speak with you about this exciting topic. So thank you. I am tickled to be back and I am delighted to talk about one of my two most favorite topics on earth. So yay, <laughs> thank you for including me on this really cool series. You are so welcome. Yes, thank you. Well, 
we began this series on April 4th. And when we, when we started to, you know, plan it and put it together, we, we felt like it was a good idea to begin with the topic of self-love and self-acceptance because that, that really is a necessary tool uh, to nurture an intimate relationship with another. Yep. And, um, and so we posed the question in our very first episode of the series and then um, following, we posed this question as well. But we wanted to ask you to start it off. Can, sure. you, can you receive love from another if you haven't been able to fully love yourself? So that's a provocative question. Um, I'm delighted you asked. I, I also think that the answer is probably uh, philosophically based, mm, okay. um, you know, and, and I think that my, my gestalt is no, mm -hmm. uh, my gestalt is that you, someone can give you love, but you might not be able to receive it uh, or at least not fully receive it. Mm -hmm. If you, if you don't love yourself, uh, you know, when, when we talk about sexual dysfunction in a few minutes, you know, the, the tertiary sexual dysfunction is where you don't feel like a sexual creature, you know, you feel ill and you, and, and that doesn't mean that doesn't have to be a physical illness. And, and so many people, um, I think that is the core of what might be, um, an underlining problem is, mm -hmm. is that they, they are upset with themselves in some capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm not a, but I'm not a philosopher. I'm just a dumb doctor, but you know, but, <laughs> but that, that, that's my, that's my take. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, that's going into our very first question for you. So to really paint a full picture of what intimacy look like, we have spoken with members of the MS community, um, an OT or occupational therapist and a physical therapist, Dr. Gretchen Howley, and yeah, also Dr. Great. Williams. Yeah, she is yeah. awesome. Um, oh, you, just named, you just named some of my favorite people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now we are coming full circle with you. Uh, you are our icing on the cake. Yes. <laughs> God bless. Um, so can you explain some of the primary and secondary effects of MS on sexual dysfunction? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the first thing that I would say is that, that sex is extremely complicated physiologically it ain't simple so physiologically there's a bunch of stuff that happens that results in arousal lubrication orgasm or arousal obtaining and maintaining an erection and ejaculation those are really complex processes and it stands to reason that if someone is suffering from a neurological condition that it could interrupt some of them and, and I find it very, very helpful when I'm talking to families to think about uh, sexual dysfunction or problems in the bedroom in, in three sections, primary sexual dysfunction, secondary sexual dysfunction, and tertiary sexual dysfunction. So I define primary sexual dysfunction as when the circuitry of sex has been damaged. So for example, there are places in the spinal cord which control the down there's. If there's an MS lesion, which has uh, essentially severed that, that circuit, then that stuff doesn't work very well. And so, you know, if you think about like an electrical wiring system, if you cut the wires, that would be like the equivalent of primary sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. 
and that is something that people impacted by MS can't experience. Secondary sexual dysfunction is not as straightforward. It's not that the circuitry of sex has been damaged. It's that there are other neurological symptoms which, in, which impact being sexy. So for example, if you're getting your groove on and you lose control of your bladder, right. that's, a, that's a, a showstopper. Right. You know, that's going to interrupt intercourse and going to result in, you know, cleaning up and a bunch of other stuff, which is not sexy. Right. Similarly, if you're having sex and your leg goes into an extensor spasm, you're done having sex. Right. <laughs> right. Um, or, you know, there's a host of things. If, if you have um, dyspareunia, that's a fancy doctor word for light touch down there doesn't feel good. It hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the sensation, uh, the sensory input has changed. All of these things can contribute to sexual dysfunction, and they're kind of categorized as secondary sexual dysfunction. Now, tertiary sexual dysfunction, as we, we started talking about, is more psychological or philosophical, and the person doesn't feel like a sexual being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times, it's tied up with a feeling of being an invalid or a feeling of being sick. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, as we try to game out how to make the bedroom the best place in the house, that all three come into play. And so it's very rare in my experience that I meet someone that has only one of those three problems contributing to difficulty with intercourse. It's typically two or more often all three. And so if we're going to be successful, I think we have to consider all three. Right. Mm -hmm. And how, so, in your neurological um, exams with your patients, let's say you have someone coming in and you can tell they are alluding to wanting to talk to you about this topic. Um, but quite often, a lot of people just kind of take a hands-off approach and don't dive in for whatever reason. Maybe they're nervous. Maybe right. there's some childhood childhood issues. Who knows? Um, but it's all new to us. You know what I mean? Sure, like, sure. sure. Yeah, MSers, it's like I I never thought that this could happen. Right. You no, know? and these yep. even now, twenty years later, like hearing primary, secondary, and tertiary is like new for me. So, yeah. how do you approach the topic of sex with your patients or with a patient, especially so, someone coming in timid? Yeah. So, so I think that the first step is for the clinician to be sensitive that it's a thing, right? right. So, so the first step is to recognize that it's something which happens quite frequently. And if you look at the statistics, it's not infrequent. Uh, It's actually very, very frequent. Um, And and the second thing, at least my approach is, I talk about it all the flipping time. And my point point is not to embarrass someone, but basically by making jokes and making light, and I'll explain how I do that in a second, I'm, I'm communicating with the human, I am cool with this topic. So, for example, when um, I saw uh, two new consultative uh, patients this, this afternoon, so people that, that were onboarding into my practice, mm-hmm. I had not spoken to them before, and there's a point in time during our discussion where I ask um, about various functions, you know, so how, how do your hands work? Do you have any difficulty with handwriting, et cetera, et cetera? And then I say, you know, any issues with bladder? you know, any accidents, near accidents, or difficulty getting urine out. And we talk about that. So, okay, well now, how about any similar problems with bowel function? Any accidents, near accidents, 
or difficulty with constipation. Mm -hmm. And then I say, whenever I ask about bowel and bladder, I always ask about sexual function, not to be nosy, mm -hmm. but it's in the same location in the brain and spinal cord. Any difficulties with arousal, obtaining, maintaining an erection or ejaculation? Or if it's a woman, then I, you know, I changed so that it's an appropriate comment. Mm -hmm. And then I just look at them. And sometimes they say, actually, yes, that's a major problem. And then we start talking about it. Mm. Or they say, nope, nope, everything's fine. But they heard that I'm down to discuss it. Right. And mm -hmm. each visit with my patients, I ask them about the up there's and the down there's. So the up there's is cognition, energy, and mood. That's the up there's. Mm. Invisible symptoms that are very common in MS that can plague quality of life and, and your ability to you know, work and live your life. And then I talk about the down there's. And the down there's are bowel, bladder, and sexual function. And so I try my best to normalize the conversation. Right. And I will sometimes take a further step and say, just so that you know, if that's ever an issue, let me know because I want to help you fix it. Right, and right. By, by normalizing it, I'm trying to set the stage even before they come to me so they know that Dr. B is cool with that topic and I'm not going to shy away from it. Uh, on the contrary, I want to lean in and really help. Right. Yeah. I, I think from um, an MS perspective, a person with that, having MS, like I was saying before, it's really difficult to, I don't think I'm afraid to bring it up with my neurologist um, and talk about this topic. I think it's more, I just wasn't aware that all of this would happen. You know, once yep. I started yep. to have the lesions going down the the thoracic, you know, that's when things started to kind of go haywire. And I'm like, wait a yep. minute, this is, this is real now. And yep. Yep. How and do I, I approach that? And I think mm -hmm. that for somebody who is newly diagnosed, they don't know, like, is it inappropriate to be talking about this kind of stuff with my right. neurologist? So I think it's a wonderful thing when a neurologist takes the initiative to kind of break the ice. To kind for of sure. For sure. That it's okay to, you know, you're not you know, crazy I, for wanting to you. talk about it. No, on the contrary. I mean, I, I will share with you that I have a lot of colleagues that think I'm a weirdo for many reasons, <laughs> including the fact that I engage in conversations about sex with my patients. And, mm. and I've had neurologists say, you're stepping out of line. That's not appropriate. I would never do that. But more often what I hear is, oh man, that's crazy. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable discussing that. Right. And, and I, whereas that may or may not be the case in my mind, that's too bad, you know, yeah. because it, it's my goal to help someone impacted by MS be the most awesome version of them possible despite having MS. Mm -hmm. I want them to live their very, very best life. And I don't know about you, but having a earth shattering orgasm is a great way to live your best life. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and so, and so, so I would be in my mind rather foolish not to try to help there. Right. You know, I can help someone with a tremor and that's helpful. But if I can help them have adequate vaginal lubrication, that's more helpful. Gosh darn it. I mean, right. so, yeah. so I, I think that we just have to, as neurologists, put on our big boy pants and, and have the conversation and, and let the person share what's going on. Right. And 
very often during the course of a visit, someone will say, well, I want to ask you something, but I'm not sure how to ask. Mm-hmm. And, and that always, almost always is a question about intercourse yes. or marijuana. It's one of the two. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's very often a question about intercourse. And, and, I, and I do want to share just a funny story. It's one of mm-hmm. the funniest things that's happened to me in the course of my, my career. A young man that I'm very proud to take care of, he has god-awful MS. And we did a really good job controlling his disease. We put him on a very powerful medicine. It worked great. It worked so great, he kind of disappeared. You know, mm-hmm. he, didn't, he didn't come back because he was doing super. Mm-hmm. And um, one day I'm in clinic, and you know, it's a hustle and bustle. It's a very busy clinic. And my MA comes back and goes, oh my gosh, so-and-so showed up today. And I said, oh, he's not on the schedule. And she said, I know but he's out in the waiting room and he refuses to leave. Now, this kid is not like that. He's not pushy. He's mm-hmm. a very, very polite young man that's highly uncharacteristic. And I got nervous. I thought, oh, shoot, you yeah. know, get him in a room, get him in a room. Mm-hmm. So they put him in a room. And, you know, when my MA goes in, they ask questions, tell me what's going on. He wouldn't say. He says, I need to talk to Dr. Boster. So okay. So I go in the room and I sit down and I say, man, what's going on? He goes, I have to talk to you. And I said, well, apparently. <laughs> and, and I said, what's wrong? He goes, I have a really big problem. And I said, okay, what is it? And he took a breath and he goes, I have a girlfriend. I said, that's not a problem. That's fantastic. Right. He goes, I, I need Viagra right now. <laughs> so this, this young man who had disappeared from my clinic, God bless him. And, and he, he barged into the clinic the only time in, in my life and demanded that he be seen. <laughs> so, so, I, so I gave him some you know, prescription for Viagra. And I, I let, you know, he left and then I came out of the room. And my whole team was like waiting, like, is he okay? Is he okay? I said, yeah, he's fine. You know? um, but but I, thought it was, I thought it was awesome. And I was kind of honored that he knew that he could, he could reach out and yes. that I would help him. Yeah. So that, that, that made me feel really good. Yes. That really, wow. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah. I know. I love that story. <laughs> I, 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 told, I told my team, I said, from now on, if a 20-something boy demands to be seen, we now know why. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So with all of that said, um, so throughout this series, um, and I think we sent it to you as well, we've referenced uh-huh. um, a presentation um, done by Dr. Stanley Ducharme. He did it um, back in 2012, but it's called Sexuality and MS. And he's a uh-huh. clinical psychologist and sex therapist. But anyway, um, he gives a bunch of tips um, from the perspective of a sex therapist. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, he ta- tailors it to people with MS. And one of the takeaways that I think is really the most powerful for me personally in the presentation, he says, don't try to recreate the past. And yeah, that is 100% spot on. And yep. as I read that, it reminds me, excuse me, of a video that you did a couple years ago, when you talked about um, shifting the paradigm. Yes, yes. Totally, totally spot on with that. So in your opinion, or from your perspective, do you have some thoughts about changing the paradigm when it comes to yes. dealing with sex? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that we have to start by trying and failing at defining sex. Right. Right. So, so if you ask um, a lesbian what, what sex is, she will give you a different answer than a 20 something heterosexual boy. Yes. 
they're both having sex, but they're not necessarily doing the same things. Right. And I, I bring that up because how we define sex and how we define intimacy isn't, um, doesn't mean vaginal penetration with a penis in a missionary position until the guy has an orgasm and then they watch TV. Right. Right. It, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, intercourse can, can take place in lots of different ways. And, and, and really it's about two people connecting in a very, in a very, very intimate way. Not to use the word intimate five times in one sentence, <laughs> but it's, and, and it's, it's, it's special and unique for them. And so if you are used to mowing your lawn one way, and then because of motor fatigue and heat sensitivity, you can't do it that way, it doesn't mean you can't mow your lawn. It just means you can't mow the lawn the way you used to. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll share another uh, story of a gentleman that I, I have the pleasure of knowing, and he has MS, and he has erectile dysfunction, and he's very open about it. Um, he, he actually has uh, created some social media support groups surrounding it, which I think is commendable. Yeah. And he has a significant other, and when he shared with her, you know, hey, I, you know, I, have, I have erectile dysfunction, she s- smiled and said, does your mouth work? And I was like, go girl. Go girl. <laughs> you know, and so I just, you know, and so that to me is an awesome example of two things. It's an awesome example of paradigm shifting. Mm-hmm. And it's an awesome example of what it means to be intimate yes. and what it means to have sex. Now, you know, do, does that qualify as sex? In Aaron's book, it sure as heck does. Right. right? I mean, and so, and so I think that we have to be careful about how narrow of a definition that we have. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why I think that open dialogue is so important. You know, there are, there are couples that don't discuss intercourse. You know, like they don't, they, they may have sex, but they don't really talk about it. And that puts them, in my opinion, at a disadvantage. Yeah. Because they're not able to discuss, hey, you know, that actually kind of hurts. That doesn't feel good. Or, you know, if you did it like this instead of like that, you know, it, it, all those, all of those conversations are trying to help clue in your partner so that the experience is all the much better. And, and I think that, that this, you're in your spot on, this ties so tightly into the concept of paradigm shifting. You can still have an amazing experience. It just might be a bit different than uh, you had planned. Right. Right. That's right. Well, I remember when you mentioned um, in our previous, like a recent episode that we had with you and you talked about, we were talking about something completely, completely different, but you had said that um, a patient had lost sensation in that area. And this patient uh-huh. then like used um, a vibrator to get oh, yeah. the erection. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. that was something else that this presentation was talking about, you know, again, shifting the paradigm, you know, if you need yeah, to so use these toys. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. I like to call that the vibrator trick. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the vibrator trick, you know, really it, it deals with, largely with primary sexual dysfunction. So, so the way that I think about it is right now, as I speak to the two of you, I'm talking into my, my phone and I'm using what I refer to as an indoor voice, mm-hmm. right? So, so I'm not screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm not whispering. I'm just speaking out a normal voice. And, 
and that's an okay way for me to speak because there's very little interference between my mouth and the phone and, and your phone and your ear. Mm-hmm. Now, if we were having this same conversation at a, a concert, you know, with, with uh, you know, 20,000 people and a, a band playing, we would be screaming at the top of our lungs because there would be a tremendous amount of interference between my mouth and your ear, right? right? Mm-hmm. So I would have to change how, I, I would have to change the level of intensity of my, of my voice so that you could appreciate what I was trying to say. So if you think about primary sexual dysfunction, and let's use an example of a spinal cord lesion. So when the down there's get stimulated, and it sends a message up the spinal cord to the brain so the brain can learn what's going on, it dies, the message dies along the way because of the interference of the spinal cord lesion. Mm-hmm. So if you can provide what I refer to as overdrive stimulation, then you can have enough input down there that enough of a message gets all the way up that damaged area of the spinal cord to the brain. So the brain's like, oh, 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 <laughs> that's what's going on. <laughs> right. And so one of, the, one of the ways that we can do that is a, a two-step process. Step one is to use a water-based lubricant because that increases skin sensitivity. Step number two is plug in the wall vibrator. Now, I was very explicit with my words. I said plug in the wall vibrator because the rabbit with the double D batteries, that's not enough oomph for what I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> like legit DC current. You know? and, and so, so my fave is the Hitachi Magic Wand. We own two. And the Hitachi Magic Wand is a plug-in-the-wall back massager, and it's the bomb. You yeah. know? And so, so a gentleman or a young lady can, can use a water-based lubricant and then apply that anywhere. You know, so a gentleman can put it on the head of the gland's penis, on the shaft of the penis, underneath the testicles, wherever he wants to try it out. And what we oftentimes find is overdrive stimulation provides enough input that his brain gets the message and it sends a message back down so that he can maintain an adequate erection. And you can use that vibrator trick before intercourse, instead of intercourse, during intercourse. I mean, you can literally hold the vibrator between you and your partner. Right. And so it's a, it's a very versatile, you know, and it's, I always joke, you know, it's, if you don't like it, put package it up and give it to your spouse, you know, right. <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's a relatively inexpensive tool. Uh, and, and it can make a profound difference in the ability to feel what's going on. Yes. So, okay, let me just try to understand this because if you have, I'll, I'll just talk about myself. I, I'm out there. I don't care. So when I was having my major issues before taking Limtrata, I was like losing sensation. My, my uh-huh. gait was off, terribly off. And I could tell at that time, because I was sexually active at that time, I could tell that I was losing sensation. And I, uh-huh. I didn't know what to do. Um, eventually, things just kind of like, it just kind of came back. But at yep. that time, I didn't know, okay, yeah, use a water-based lubricant, use this, like, what do you, Yep. yep. how does this work? How did, I don't, it's so confusing. So, <laughs> so I think, I think that your experience is unfortunately common. And you know, if the neurologist, again, I'm going to point at the neurologist for a second. If you have spinal cord involvement, then I expect, or I look for a couple things. I look for sensory changes below the level of the injury. And I look for weakness in the muscles below the level of the injury. 
And then I look for bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to find all that stuff. But when you say spinal cord, those are the things that I think about that I need to explore. So the, if the neurologist went to neurology school, they know that. Um, right. and, and, they, and then they need to be forthcoming. And when they ask about, are you having this? Are you having that? They also need to ask about the down theirs. Mm -hmm. And I guess if, if somebody's listening to our podcast, hello, how are you? <laughs> I, I, what I would say is, is there's a couple of resources that they could ask for. And, and these are magical resources. So if you weren't listening, like, let's start listening like now. The first resource is pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Oh my golly golly. I didn't know about pelvic floor physical therapy until maybe, I don't know, eight years ago. And it's life changing. A pelvic floor physical therapist is actually hard to find. They, they, don't, they don't grow them everywhere, right? And, and these, uh, these folks are specially trained to rehabilitate the pelvic floor bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. And, and so they can meet with a, a person, they get you up in stirrups, a boy or a girl, and they're gonna put their hands inside places that some people have not had their hands inside of. And, you know, and, and to quote uh, my favorite pelvic floor physical therapist, let them know that I'm gonna get up in their business. <laughs> and, and, and what they do is they make Kegels look like child's play. They, <laughs> they, they, they teach you how to reactivate muscles that in some cases, you haven't been able to use. And they can have a profound impact on bowel, bladder, and sexual function. And the other cool thing is typically a pelvic floor physical therapist doesn't need to see you multiple times. Like, you know, if you go to PT for walking, you may go three times a week for 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. A pelvic floor physical therapist typically sees you once, maybe twice, and then you're good in the hood. Wow. And, and it's really, really powerful. Um, I... I think that it's one of the biggest impacts that I can offer from a referral standpoint to, uh, to patients. Mm -hmm. The second resource is the urologist. So the urologist is trained to understand bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. Not just bladder, bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. And so not every urologist wants to get involved in that stuff, but they're trained in it. Um, I am very, very fortunate to get to work with an amazing gentleman um, named Ketul Shaw. And he's a urologist uh, here in, in the town that I work in. And, and he told me years ago, I want to see your MS patients with bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. And I, and I giggled. I said, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. And, and, and he has done wonders for people um, with various lotions and potions and medicines and what have you. And so I, I just bring that up because those are two resources that might not come to top of mind right. for somebody, and they are really powerful resources. Moreover, let's pretend that your neurologist is not cool. You know, let's pretend your neurologist don't want to talk about the down there. Right. Doesn't want to talk about you know the the lack of earth shattering orgasm that you think you deserve to have. Well, then you could say, okay, well, can you refer me to pelvic floor physical therapy, please? Mm. Or can you send me to a neuro friendly urologist, please? Mm -hmm. And that provides you a, a different avenue to explore how you can try to make things better. Yes. Shifting the paradigm in your care. There we go. There, there we go. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Very good stuff. And that is something that I spoke with my neurologist about uh, because at the time the bladder issue was like the most important thing to me, I, the mm -hmm. sexual dysfunction wasn't at, it wasn't top priority. Um, no. and, and 
I was more concerned with, with being able to hold my bladder and not have yep, accidents yep, that everywhere. Makes, that makes sense. Yep. So she sent me to the urologist and what I focused on with the urologist is, and this is what we talked about with Dr. Mitzi Williams. Um, I've only focused on self, and I cannot say this, self catheterization. catheterization. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So yeah. to bring up the, the dysfunction, the sexual dysfunction, I said, you know, that just, that's going to have to wait because I need to figure this out first. Yep. Um, but I yep. probably should have spoken up, but you know, I did see a PT, but she wasn't, um, a pelvic, pelvic floor, floor PT, but we did do those exercises. So that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. so you were, you were getting there, you know, and, and I, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. You know, first of all, priorities are priorities. And I think most, you know, most uh, reasonable adults would want to first not wet themselves and then work on sexual function. So I think that's very reasonable, mm -hmm. but I also think it's reasonable to say, Hey, I've got a couple problems. The first one is this, but I don't want to forget about this other one, pretty please. Right. 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 Yep. You know, and and you, you want to, again, in the same fashion, it might not be something that you tackle that day, but, um, but it's something you might tackle down the road. And I would love it if a patient felt comfortable saying to their neurologist or to their practitioner, are you comfortable helping me with sexual dysfunction? Not would you, but are you comfortable helping right. with sexual dysfunction? Because that gives them an out and say, actually, not really, but I will help, but I'll refer you here. You know what I mean? Right. It, it gives them an out and they can save a little face and at the same time still, you know, hook you up with, with a referral that would be very, very helpful. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Have, have you guys talked at all about the female libido drug? On, on the podcast. No, we haven't. Oh, we should talk about that. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, there are, um, there are all kinds of pharmacologic options for boys. And it's not really fair. <laughs> you know, right. Um, yeah. You know, you, we have the Viagras and the Cialises and all these other things, right? And they even have like implantable pumps and blah, 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 right? So, so most of my patients are not boys, most are women. And and it turns out that there's a medication called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, is I think how you spell it. Mm. Um, and I don't get a kickback. I don't have a financial relationship. I don't like speak for them. Right. I just like their drug. Um, and it's a really interesting story because when they studied this drug, they, it was being studied for a completely different purpose and it failed. It didn't work. But what they found was that the, the women in the trial Whereas they didn't have benefit that they were studying, they had significant improvement of sexual arousal. Like, you know, they got horny. Right. And, and so, and so I, have, I have started to offer Addy to women that are having low libido. Now, there's, there's one caveat that you can't drink alcohol on it. Which is a joke, right? I mean, right. Not a joke, but I do like, yes. wait a second. <laughs> and, so, and so you have to have that, you know, engaged conversation. Listen, you know. If uh, you know <laughs> that you have to be careful about alcohol intake with this drug, but it, I have had some really great successes. You know, when I send someone out with a medicine, when they come back, one of the first things we do is we check in. How'd that work out right. for you? And with a relatively small number of patients I've offered, I'm getting big thumbs up and smiles and, you know, partners are giving me thumbs up, right. and, 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 you know, and I think that's awesome. And so I just bring it up because I want people who are listening to know that, there is a medication which is rather uh, effective in helping um, issues with female libido. 
Okay, random question, backing up a little bit. So uh -huh. what was this drug originally for? Uh, you know, it's funny. The reason I said it that way is I can't remember. Okay, <laughs> because I'm in my mind thinking, okay, this drug is, you know, being tested for whatever, and suddenly we're finding that, you know, it's making women really horny. Like, how yeah. was that even, like, determined? Yeah, you know I, what I'm saying? I, I would love I know, to it's, read it's great, that. I, I imagine, you know, I, that, that it was not a standard patient report. I'll measure, <laughs> right. um, and, and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember what it was tested for. Uh, as soon as we end the call, I'm, of course, going to go look it up <laughs> um, to remind myself. But, but I just think it's... Um, it's one of those, you know, things in yeah. science. Sometimes when you when you get the when you find out that your uh, tested hypothesis was wrong, then you're on to something. Yes. You know? And here's an example where there's a repurposing of a drug um, for a wonderful, wonderful outcome. Absolutely. With all of that being said, Doctor Boster, um, I want to thank you. Uh, uh, this conversation really kind of rounded out. Um, rounded everything out everything that we've been talking about um i oh, think that yes uh we saved the best for last um <laughs> with that said i think that you know as i mentioned like shifting the paradigm really should be number one yep for people yep. you know not an afterthought like hey you know with ms we know that we have to adapt that's just yep. one of the ultimate things that we know. So it's kind of like, let's start at understanding that we're going to have to shift the paradigm. And that's cool. That's, that's just, it is what and it is. I think that's, I think it's empowering, you know, yes. it, because it, it doesn't mean that you can't be intimate or can't have sex or can't enjoy um, or can't give your partner pleasure. You can do all those things. You just might have to do it slightly differently or a lot differently than you used to. Right. I mean, let, let's, let's be very real with each other. I'm 45 years old, right? My entire body is 45 years old. You feel me? <laughs> and, and my 45-year-old body is not like my 18-year-old body. Right. I mean, I don't have multiple sclerosis, but it ain't the same sport. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and that's, that's just the reality of, of, you know, adult male aging or what right. have you. And so it's not as if, only people with MS or only people that have a neurological condition have to paradigm shift throughout their life. Right. Just natural aging in and of itself is an issue. You know, I mean, heck, my back gets sore. You know what I mean? Right. So, so, so <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, uh, your, your, your point is, is the most important point that, that if you can simply accept that you're going to have to shift the paradigm and change your perspective and how you yes. look at intercourse, how you define intercourse, how you define success. Success doesn't mean orgasm. Right, right. You know, I don't think that that's the appropriate definition. I, I think, you know, success is, in, is defined uh, with, with the couple, you know, with the yes. two people or maybe the five people. Who knows how you're doing? Right, you know? right. Um, <laughs> yeah. how, however that may be, you know, that, 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 that you can have a very meaningful and intimate experience or intimate relationship. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, the, the way that you conceptualize it at 16. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And a, a plug in the wall vibrator never hurt nobody. <laughs> right. Exactly. Wow. Well, you know, I, I want to thank you guys. You know, consistently, this podcast picks very, very real topics that are very, very germane 
to the lives of people impacted by MS. And, and I have watched you over the years lean into difficult topics, lean into controversial topics. And, and, and this, this podcast today is, is a perfect example of, of what a wonderful job you do bringing to the forefront these important issues. And I, I just want to say, as a member of this MS community, thank you both very much. Thank you so thank much you. for that. That means a lot. It really does. And may I add just one other piece? There's a small component here, and Dr. Boster said it. Communicate. Communicate, yes. communicate, yes. communicate. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And, and th that makes everything better. It makes a doctor-patient relationship better. It makes a husband-wife relationship better. It makes a parent-child relationship better. It makes a lover more uh, effective as a lover. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and, and it's, it, Plus, it makes things more fun. Yeah, well, you know, we all have our marching orders. Um, so, you know, we want to practice love and self love. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, and I am, and I am tickled that I got to talk with you about, you know, this, this wonderful topic. So I hope that if people are listening, that they, they appreciate that this should not be taboo. Right. This, this is, this should not be something which is discussed in a hushed fashion. Um, this is this is a key part of life. It is a beautiful part of life, and I have the privilege and the honor of talking to families, you know, of all ages. Um, and you know, I'll share with you: eighty-year-olds get it on. You know, <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. You know, I mean, you know, and 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 so, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, and and I think that as a as a as a, a, a clinician or as you know a medical practitioner. If someone is is giving me the honor and the privilege of letting me help them with something so intimate, that's a gift to me. That's very special, uh, and and I think that we have to honor that. And I hope that if there's a clinician listening to this, that they put on their big boy pants and they ask questions that they're not comfortable with necessarily, because it's for the betterment of someone's quality of life. Right. Let's face it. If we use the so-called best medicine, whatever that may be, the best medicine to slow down multiple sclerosis, and the person can't enjoy intercourse, we have not done our best job. Right. We haven't. You know, I think in order to do our best job, we have to use that medicine to slow MS down. And then we have to, quote, clean up symptoms, end quote. Right. And this is a, this is a great one to clean up, a great one. Definitely. Um, you know, one, one last thing, and I, I apologize for thinking about things out of order, but, you know, secondary sexual dysfunction is probably the largest category of issue um, that, that neurologists can help with and probably contribute to inadvertently. Mm. Because a lot of the medicines that we use can impair sexual function. Right. You know, so, so many people impacted by MS experience depression and the go-to medicines are typically SSRIs or SNRIs, mm -hmm. you know, Prozac and all those medicines, and they can impair sexual function. Right. And, and so I think that we have to be asking about that. You know, and if you have spasticity or neuropathic pain or bowel or bladder dysfunction, even cognitive impairment or fatigue, or, you know, there's a, all of these very common neuro symptoms that people impacted by MS can experience can all make the bedroom a disaster. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we, instead of shying away, actually centered our discussion around intercourse, we would end up treating lots and lots of bothersome symptoms yes you know okay so let's take care of the bladder so that you don't have an accident during intercourse check okay well, let's take care of the dyspareunia because it hurts when you're touched check 
okay, let's take care of the spasm so your leg doesn't do that. Right. During sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, what would happen is you'd have a really optimized human being that was killing it. Yes. I'll, I'll, share, I'll share one more success story that was a really fun one for me. Uh, there's a, a, a gentleman that I have the privilege of taking care of, um, the primary progressive MS, and he has a uh, intrathecal baclofen pump because he has very bad spasticity in his legs. And uh, he was lamenting that sex was really frustrating. He and his wife and I were talking. And he explained that when he has intercourse, his leg goes into an extensor spasm. So it straightens out and it hurts like the dickens. Mm-hmm. I mean, game over, like no more sex right now. Right. And, and so they tried, they were prescribed Valium. So he would take a Valium, but then he would fall asleep during intercourse. Like literally, mm-hmm. like he passed out. So mm-hmm. that's not sexy. So, <laughs> so you know, what we figured out was we, when, when he had an MRI, he had to lay flat for, you know, an hour which was really hard for him to do because of his spasticity. So we would uh, have him come to the MS center. We would bolus his pump, meaning we would program the pump to release a bolus of baclofen, mm-hmm. which relaxed his legs, but it didn't make him sleepy. And then he could have his MRI. Light bulb. Right. We gave this guy an off-label, um, it's called a PTM. It's like a little pager device. And you can press a button and you can trigger your pump to release a bolus. Mm. So, you know, it's off-label for baclofen, but that doesn't hurt nobody. Mm. And we got him one of these PTM devices and we programmed it so that when uh, the mood was right and, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was, you know, wine and, and rose petals and <laughs> Barry White, you know, was playing and what have you, <laughs> then he could, he could hit the button and he could trigger, he could trigger his pump to give a bolus and it worked. So, wow. So I wanted to write, I wanted to write a case study, um, but nobody, nobody, thought that was a good idea but I, I thought that would be really you know a good thing to share and, and so thank you for letting me share it now yeah. yes I love that I know the best you have the best story yeah <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm just very I'm just very blessed that I get to take care of some really cool people well, yeah again thank, thank you guys I'm so tickled that I got to speak to you and again thank you for all that you do and I'll look forward to uh, seeing you around on the internet very soon thank you so Absolutely. much Dr. Boster take care yeah. take care have a, have a great day bye-bye you too you too bye Thanks for tuning into our series, That Part, Intimacy and MS. It has really been a pleasure bringing such wonderful content and awareness to a topic that is not often openly discussed. Please check out our website for a complete breakdown of each episode and where you can connect with all of our guests. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.